Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. So welcome to our catechism class, where what we really want is to make you feel good about yourself, to build up your self-esteem. So here's our brand new feel-good jingle. You're listening to your local radio. Where it always feels good. Oh no, wait, hold on. That's not right at all, sure it's not. It's really not the job of a Christian preacher or pastor or even the catechist to make us feel good. In fact, the very opposite is the case. When Paul was writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he wrote about how his preaching had made them sad. You can be sure that when you went to hear Paul preaching, you didn't go home afterwards thinking, well, what a great chap I am. God must really love me because I am so good. Here's what Paul wrote. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, the Catechist is doing the very same thing in Lord's Day 24, where he reminds us that we are not good people, that we have nothing to boast about, that nothing we do, even the very best things that we do, will help us in the sight of God, for they're just filthy, rotten, soiled rags in his eyes. And we've offended God by our sinful thoughts and words and actions. Here's how our instructor puts it in question 62. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? And the answer is, because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect, and defiled with sin. No, there's nothing to build up our self-esteem in there. So we'd probably better find out why our instructor is being so pessimistic about our true character, about our human nature. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. attending meetings with my then girlfriend, now my wife, Jeanette, when we were going out together, and at some of them, a man would be telling of how he came to saving faith in Christ. I soon found out that every one of those believers testifying in those meetings stressed that prior to their conversion, they had been greatly troubled about their sin. 
it worried them that there was a huge gap between God who is holy and righteous and who dwells in unapproachable light and them, or, or rather us, sinners with dark and deadly hearts whose every good deed was tainted and blemished with sin and was already under the condemnation of the broken law of God. Some of them would quote hymns. One hymn frequently quoted was Robert Murray McShane's poem, Jehovah Sidkenu. Here's a verse or two from it. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah my righteousness, was nothing to me. When free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fears shook me, I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety, in self could I see. Jehovah Sikenu, my Saviour must be. So today in this lesson, we're going to look briefly at original sin and our sinful depravity before God and our total inability to polish up our lives or to become, in any way, acceptable to God. Well, let's begin then by plainly stating that our good works cannot save us. Here in Northern Ireland, where I live, there has been a kind of a tradition of referring to Christian believers as good living people. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. I suspect that That's a reflection of what wider society thinks about themselves, thinks about Christianity, that basically everyone is good at heart, and that with a little bit of self-improvement, God might look favourably on us and perhaps overlook any minor faults. Like McShane's hymn says, we need God in his grace to open our eyes to our true condition, to reveal the dreadful danger that we're in. And here's the truth. Before God we are all utterly sinful and without any hope of doing enough good to merit or deserve his forgiveness. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6 we read this, But we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We really are awful sinners. We're morally and spiritually bankrupt and we have nothing to offer God and we have no excuse. That's because the level of righteousness that would satisfy the holiness of God is well beyond our capabilities. Measure yourself up for a moment against God's standard. Just read the Ten Commandments. And in all honesty, ask yourself if you've perfectly kept every one of them. Be honest. And not just kept every one of them today but kept every one of them every single moment, every single day of your life. If you haven't, and I'm sure you know you haven't, then you've failed in the sight of God. Even one sin is enough to completely condemn us. An American evangelist was witnessing to a young man, a university student. He asked the young man, Have you ever told a lie? I guess so, said the student. Sure, who hasn't? Okay, said the evangelist, and what do you call someone who tells lies? Oh, that's easy. That's a liar. Yes, said the evangelist. So then you're a liar. Let's go on then. 
Have you ever murdered someone? Or have you ever stolen something? Or have you ever committed adultery? Or lusted after a girl? No, said the student. I'm sure I haven't done any of those things. The evangelist immediately shot back. Sure, how could we believe you? You've just admitted that you're a liar. That one sin is enough to render us incapable of pleasing God. Our righteousness will always fall short and we fail the test that our instructor sets in the Catechism, that the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. So a Christian is not someone who is good living. A Christian is someone who has realised that they are actually not good living, a guilty, wretched sinner, whose good works, even whose best works, even whose religious works, are tainted by sin. That sin inherited from Adam, our first father. We'll look at some scripture text to back all this up in a moment or two. But first, let me give you an example of this common misunderstanding that Christians are people who are good people. I officiated at a funeral once where a nephew of the woman who had died insisted in doing a Bible reading. He read a passage from John chapter 5, stressing the words, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. He stopped there and he looked at the congregation in the funeral director's chapel and he blatantly said, my aunt was a good woman. I think he genuinely believed that his aunt was good enough to get to heaven without Jesus. Paul is adamant that that's not possible. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, he writes, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. If only those who are good will be raised to eternal life, no one will qualify. For Jesus himself said that only God is good. Matthew 19 verse 17. So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. So we call this imperfection and defilement of man total depravity. That doesn't mean that we're as bad as we can possibly be, for obviously we're not all murderers or rapists or thieves and so on. But we are all sinners, because as our catechist reminds us, even the good things that we do, even our charitable giving, even our love for our neighbours, even our very best works, are all tainted with sin. Our thoughts are sinful, our words are sinful, our deeds are sinful, our works are sinful. That's what we mean when we say that mankind is totally depraved and we can't keep the law. So Deuteronomy 27 and 26, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. Galatians 3 and 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Because no one can perfectly fulfil the law of God, we are all condemned by it. 
So if our good works can't save us, how are we going to get to heaven? There's only one way, and that is through Jesus, whose works were perfect and fully acceptable to God, who gave his life for me at the cross, who atoned for all my sins. Recognising that I am a sinner, I confess that fact to him, and I repent of my sins and trust him for my salvation. Here's McShane again. When free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fears shook me, I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah, said Kenu, my saviour must be. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished with boldness I came to drink at the fountain, life-giving and free. Jehovah, said Kenu, is all things to me. Listen, we're not Christians because of what we do. We're Christians because of what Christ has done, redeeming us and bringing us into relationship with God and with his people, his body, the church. We need to be made good in Christ to have his righteousness imputed to us, credited to our account, so that our sins, our falling short, is forgiven. Now there's three questions and answers in this Lord's Day. This first one that we've dealt with, speaking about our good works and why they can't save us as we've seen. But then on the other two questions, asking why God rewards the imperfect good works of believers, as he says he will. And then finally discussing the inevitability of good works in the Christian life. For a good tree will always bring forth good fruit. Or as one commentator summing up the teaching of this Lord's Day expressed it, don't trust in your own good works, for they are the fruit and not the root of your salvation. Well, we continue to look at Lord's Day 24 in our next lesson. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.